Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton. And as we've always said, this is the show where we can take a look at our internal world and we can prove that we've always said it because today we're going to revisit show number one, numero uno, the very first. The show is pretty power packed considering we'd never done it before. We had two doctors and a well-spoken published author, Courtney Hammeister, Dr. Jenna Lejeune, and Dr. Brian Goff. We talk about anxiety, medications, meditations, lifestyle changes, on and on, and the show covered a lot of ground. Perhaps it was because we didn't know if there would be a show number two. Joking. Courtney Hammeister talks about her amazing book, Okay, Fine, Whatever, the year I went from being afraid of everything to just most things. So this is a revisit of Beyond Well from show number one, including all the chair squeaks, a couple of cusses, and the theme song that sounds like it's being played from a cassette tape. Enjoy. (laughs) There we go. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Do you want to be pulled in? (laughs) Start over here. (laughs) I mean, the video show is great. Welcome to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton, and I wanted to have a podcast where we could begin talking about our internal world. It seems to me that with one in four Americans suffering from a mental illness at any time in their life, we could learn to actually recognize the signs and symptoms and also begin to develop some tools in a toolbox for coping with our inner world, our emotional world. Uh, I lost my husband to suicide 12 years ago and since then have been really interested in the topic of being well. How do we actually shore ourselves up for the inevitability that we are all going to suffer at one point or another? Thankfully, I've got some really amazing people with me here to figure it all out. Dr. Brian Goff and Dr. Jenna Lejeune. Hello, hello. Hi. I want to um, first say when I say doctor, I know a lot of people are going to go, oh, shit, this is going to be a doctor show where people drone on and on. And it's really difficult for us to find out anything that has any entertaining value. But the reason that I chose both of you is because you both have extremely great sense of humor. Is it something that you think is important in your practice? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I bring to the practice is this idea of like just humanity, not treating this as like I'm somebody that doesn't struggle with the same things you struggle with, but just, oh, we're both in the same soup together. I happen to have a different perspective because I'm not exactly in your soup and you have a different perspective. So the two of us together can just sort of talk about what's kind of where you're stuck right now. But yeah, I don't, I don't find it super helpful to take the like, I'm Dr. Lejeune, unless I'm calling the insurance companies, and then they answer my call much more quickly if I use doctor. So Jenna, um, what are the specialties that you really dig? 
Yeah. Um, I think sort of broadly speaking, I'm really interested in relationships. So I'm interested in people's relationship with their body. So people who are struggling with their body in some way. Um, I'm interested in helping people develop more meaningful and satisfying relationships, especially if they've had some kind of interpersonal trauma Um, and intimacy and sexuality and all those things that um, go into making kind of meaningful relationships for people. That's awesome. Brian and I go back a long time because I actually researched and, and interviewed Brian many times for my book, All the Things We Never Knew. And I asked him if he would be my therapist and he said, no, because I'll be your friend. <laughs> and I think I really got the right end of the stick on that one, Brian. Aww, Although I could still use a very good therapist, but I think I'll go to Jennifer. That. I, know, I know a few of them. <laughs> what, what specialties do you really dig? Uh, I'm really interested in, uh, I think most of my career has been focused on uh, struggles with mood, whether it be depression or anxiety. And um, a lot of the people that I see have um, struggles with, I guess, the the geeky term would be behavioral discontrol, but sort of finding yourself doing things that you wish you weren't doing or not being able to be doing the things that you really want to be doing. And so moving the needle in that, whether it has to do with uh, risky behavior or uh, ways to regulate your feelings gone bad or whether it's related to health and wellness like exercise or nutrition. I was just I was just thinking about myself this morning at Blue Star Donuts and wondering when you said finding yourself doing things that you're not really <laughs> responsible for if that would probably be in that hmm am I actually taking care of my anxiety this morning with a big old sweet molasses donut I think Blue Star is. Is this a promo for Blue Star? Because I love them. <laughs> Brought to you by Blue Star Donuts. You guys, every week we're going to have a different person on um, who, and we'll get back to Jenna and Brian talking specifically about one topic per episode. Today we're going to cover anxiety. And I think I have the queen of the person who has actually coped with, dealt with it and really figured out an, a beautiful way to come to grips with living with anxiety. Uh, Courtney Hammond. Hawmeister, as soon as you hear her voice, you're going to go, ah, oh, I love her because she was the host of a fabulous syndicated radio show called Livewire. Courtney, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I first want to say this book is the same color as our logo. And I think that we are both kind of set, setting an intention that we want to be better, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's bright yellow, which is, which I found sort of ironic just because <laughs> the, 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 so much of the book was about my pessimistic nature. So it's this bright, sunny yellow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Whatever the year I went from being afraid of everything to only being afraid of most things. So I can imagine that the year your book comes out, it's a particularly anxiety invoking experience. Yes. How are you doing right now? Um, I'm, I'm doing well right now. I think that I, uh, you know, the book came out, it's now February. The book came out at the end of July and, you know, I had a, I had this wonderful big book event here in Portland. And then, uh, I, I, and uh, my boyfriend and I traveled, uh, in at the beginning of September down the coast of California, uh, from Portland down to La Jolla in an RV. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) 
I'm not an RV person. I'm not a camper. I'm not a glamper. I don't like any of it. Um, But I I actually, I I loved it. California is beautiful. I I lived in California in high school. And, um, and so the trip was lovely and, um, and we came back and then I, I traveled pretty much all the way through October. And I think that, I mean, I, I sort of say that I feel like my brain broke a little bit um, after October. Um, I just think that my my anxiety came back. Yeah. My OCD came back a little bit. Yeah. And I think that I had just not, you know, I think that uh, people who have any sort of mental illness um, or, or issue, uh, I, I have generalized anxiety. I've been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and OCD. And, um, I think that anyone who has, has any sort of pathology like that needs to take better care of themselves and Mm. needs to be more mindful of, um, you know, at one point I, I scheduled something in California where I I had an appearance on Monday and one on Wednesday and one on Friday. Mm -hmm. And that was a learning experience for me. It was a teachable moment where I said to myself, oh, we're not doing this again because of because I have to prepare myself every time. And then there's this sort of, you know, there you you sort of uh, have a little bit of a crash afterwards, you know, just. uh, And so now I now I know. And 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 I think now I know, oh, don't go don't go to six cities in one month. That's not That's a great idea. That's probably good advice for anybody. I think, you know, it's just I exhausting. Think, I think unless you're in an RV. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. But one of those really nice ones. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I have um, interviewed so many authors and I'll tell you the experience that you're describing, it happens to an awful lot of authors, especially first time authors, where I've had two friends who actually experience psychosis Uh, The rest of them uh, who had been coping with things that they thought were long in their past and they had dealt with, it's right back up and it's in your face again. And they were complete and total messes. And their publishers are like, oh, my God, what did we get ourselves into? But this experience, this experience of consistently putting yourself out there and attempting to be on and attempting to try to say the things and do the things that people want is exhausting. And it's not at all normal. It's not normal. It isn't normal. And I think that's what I tell, you know, I, I teach, I teach kids performance sometimes, uh, and storytelling. And, and one of the things that I say to them is, you know, everyone thinks that everyone handles performance better than anyone else. And, and, and what I say to them is, first of all, pretty much everyone is scared. You need to know that they're all just, it's some people hide it better than, better than others, but also it is an unnatural act to get up in front of a hundred people, especially with what, you know, we have, you know, our lizard brain. Brain. And, you know, back in prehistoric times, it was all about staying with your tribe and not doing anything to shame yourself because if you didn't stay with your tribe back then, you would literally die. Yeah. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think we still have that in our bodies. So the fear of shaming yourself is is mm-hmm. just exacerbated when you're in, in front of hundreds of people. Um, but also with book tours and books coming out, the stakes are so high. Yeah. I've wanted to be an author my entire life. Mm. And so the and so everything that i do is is setting myself either you know setting myself up for failure or or success it's you know when we talk about storytelling it's all about stakes right, right. what can you gain and what can you lose and in this case I can lose the dream that I've had my entire life. I can gain 
I can completely change my life, right? If I do this right. Mm -hmm. Like I had a meeting in New York um, with a production with someone from a production company. And I I went to school in New York and I I left New York under kind of bummer circumstances. And, And suddenly I was back, you know, 20 years later and I'm walking from my publisher to this meeting and then I walked away from the meeting and it was a great meeting. It was a wonderful conversation. And I just remember thinking, I have to remember what this feels like right now. Uh-huh. Like mm-hmm. I have to, I have to remember the possibility in this moment and, and the, that I have, that I feel like, you know, it felt like something from a movie, right? Like I'd return to New York triumphant. Right. Um, regardless, that's the thing, regardless of how that meeting went, I got to have that meeting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but so few all, people get to have those meetings. We are all so end focused. We're all so where I see myself is my book is a number one bestseller and my name is in the lights. And so we don't allow ourselves even the, temporary joy of wait this one big step was really quite amazing yeah I want to go back to when you first started feeling or noticing in your body that you were anxiety ridden when's your first consciousness of it um (laughs) well the the terrible thing about that is I mean the the time that I well I mean I guess the first time that I had an OCD episode was um, about 21 years ago. It was right after my father passed away. Mm. My father was bipolar and um, he took his own life and uh, he was a doctor and he just knew there was a pill that you could take and uh, he was, you know, gone in a matter of 30 seconds or something that would just stop his heart. And, um, but he was exhausted, right? Bipolar disorder is an exhausting Mm -hmm. disease as is, anxiety, right? Anxiety is exhausting. So I had this, um, I had an OCD episode. Um, I was living with my mom because I had been in college and I just didn't know where to go. So I went and I lived with my mom and I just had this morning where I kept imagining that I had hurt these kids that I babysat. So I I don't have compulsive intrusive thoughts. It's called harm OCD. And so you imagine either that you have hurt someone or that you will. Whoa. Yes. And the problem is what you feel in your body Mm -hmm. is exactly what you would feel if you actually did it. Great. Right. And so So you essentially in your body have murdered people or hurt them. Wow. And it is, it's a, and, and the problem is I think, and, and I think, uh, Brian and Jenna know this better than I do, but I I think that with people with harm OCD or, or any of these intrusive thoughts, oftentimes it's specifically things that appall you. Of course. Like it's, you know, it's specifically things that you would never Mm -hmm. as a person dream of doing. And in fact, I think that they've done studies and people who have harm OCD are less likely statistically to, to do any of these things, oh, yeah. right? right. Than, the, wow. than the people who, who, you know, actually, actually do them. So in any case, that was the first time that I just had this terrible, I, I just remember going to my mother and saying, something's terribly wrong. Something's wow. really wrong. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, th- the problem is until you go see a therapist, you believe that this thing is true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it was just, you know, you feel it, uh, anxiety, um, anxiety presents differently in everybody's body In mine. Like it absolutely lives in my chest. My chest tightens. Um, my shoulders go up around my ears. Um, uh, I get a, a terrible stomach ache in my extremities mm. get tingly. Um, and that's, that's a problem too. And, um, you know, when you have any of these anxiety disorders, the problem is if you have any of these symptoms, 
you believe that you're about to have an attack. And so you have an anticipatory attack. So it is just this thing that feeds on itself. It's like these monsters that live inside of you. And your worst attack you describe in your book was just knowing that you were going to have another night in front of a live wire audience with, and the people you interview are not, they, they're not run of the mill B list interviews. They are Nobel Prize winners and they're presidents and it, it's an incredible role. So describe to people what happened. Excuse me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hope that will be edited out. Um, <laughs> no, leave we like leave to it. leave it that real. Was my, that was my protein bar. <laughs> um, oh, so chalky. So, so delicious. <laughs> so delicious. Um, well, that was the thing. What, what's what's interesting about my um, about about my OCD, and this could just be coincidental, but I somehow don't think it is. But my OCD presents itself when I have something in my life that I'm ignoring. Mm. Um, if I have a huge change that I need to make, that's when it tends to show up. And the kind of interesting thing about this, I had a I had a massive OCD attack on. It was the the eve of our ninth anniversary as a show. And what was kind of interesting about that was I had I'd been experiencing anxiety for years. I'd, I'd been I'd been hosting the show for a decade and the anxiety had been around for about six of those years. And we were actually going to have Luke Burbank on. Luke Burbank was at the time a host of a, sh of a podcast called TBTL, Too Beautiful to Live. And he was living in Seattle and. I'd been doing LiveWire for a decade and we didn't have anybody to back me up. And so we actually brought him onto the show to see if he might be a great backup for me if I ever got sick. So on the eve mm. of the show where we're having this guy mm. on who might back me up, my brain breaks and my and I cannot, for the first time in a decade, I have to call my producer and say, I can't do it. And, and, um, and my, and I had, I'd gone to my brother's house and, and he's one of the few people in my life who can be really honest with me. And, and, you know, and he said, you have to cancel. And I just said, you know, I, I can't, there's all these people, you know, there's a whole staff, there's, you know, hundreds of stations or at the time it was probably 50 something stations wow. who were waiting for the show wow. and, um, uh, and 400 people in the audience. And I just, I said, I can't. And my brother's just very, um, He's very sweet, but he can also be a little acerbic. Like he just sort of did that, you know, the head tilt that you get from people, you know, where they're just like, you're just adorable. It's so cute that you think you're so important, but you need to call your producer and, and say you can't do it. And I called her and I said, I can't do this, but what if we got Luke to host? Wow. What if we just, what if we asked him to do it? I, I want to stop you before you begin to tell us all about the change that made in your life, but- was there any, as you went back over it, was there any part of you that thought, I actually was really nervous about this guy who might be able to take my place. And I created a situation so that he could do that. Because I've been in radio for years and you're constantly looking at who is that girl that they're bringing in and who's auditioning in the next thing. And I can imagine that there's just enormous anxiety just by the very thought that there's somebody who could actually do my job and maybe better than me. Was there any of that? Not consciously. Really? No. I mean, I, wow. honestly, I think that I, you know... Um, it was so bizarre that I was, that I just kept doing the job, you know? I mean, I, I, I think that I, 
I loved so much talking to these extraordinary people, you know, directors uh, that I that I admired, mostly writers that I admired. You know, I got to I got to interview David Rakoff. I'd always idolized Linda Berry and I got to be on stage with her, mm. you know. Um, uh, and I think that that I loved that part of it. But I think that it was so hard for me. I honestly think that if anything, if I truly thought about it, I would have felt relieved. Wow. Because that's what I, of course, ended Mm -hmm. up feeling feeling. when I finally, you know, my producer was really amazing after the whole, after he hosted and we talked about it. My producer said, what do you want to do? We'll do whatever you want to do. If you want to go get help and, you know, uh, and it took me a couple of weeks and a lot of conversations with people in my life who knew what I should have done from the very beginning, just nodding their heads and like, when is she going to finally get to it? And I finally just said, I have to let it go. And it was, it was, it was a really difficult decision. It was really hard. So you have talked to me in the past and I don't know how open you are about this, about you have a mixed uh, relationship with your drugs. Mm-hmm. With the prescriptions are fantastic and they're awful. Mm-hmm. Describe that if you would. Well, I mean, so what I started doing with LiveWire was was I took a cocktail of um, uh, an Ativan, pretty low prescription of Ativan, and a beta blocker, propranolol, and that for me was kind of magical. There was, there were a couple times when it didn't work, but for the most part, and I would take it prophylactically, like regardless of how I felt on that day, I would just take it because I knew that I could have an anticipatory attack. So the propranolol slows everything down. You're not shaking or tingling anymore. You're just kind of a little looser. Well, I think that, you know, part of what, part of what makes the, makes this, makes an anxiety attack is this combination of physical and mental symptoms, right? Sure. So, so I would... The thing is, anytime you go and perform, your body changes. You're going to have a little bit of buzzing in your chest. But the problem is, if you are a person who's had a panic attack, then you feel that buzzing and you immediately, your brain goes, I'm going to have an anxiety attack. And then that brain, that thought in your brain triggers even more anxiety and, and adrenaline in your body. Yeah. The great thing about a beta blocker is that it's not like a benzo where it affects your brain and it doesn't make you forget things. And I, I wasn't as quick on the benzos, but on, on, on uh, a beta blocker, I think just sort of lowers your blood pressure and takes away the physical symptoms. So it starts this conversation, right? Your body goes, oh no, I'm having an anxiety attack. Or you're, you're, you know, you might get a little buzzing. Your brain goes, oh no, I'm having an anxiety attack. The beta blocker makes your body say, no, you're not. <laughs> You're fine. Right. Listen to me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that so so that kind of combination was really great, but at the same time like honestly, I would not remember interviews. Like wow. the and wow. part of it is all of that cortisol. I know that cortisol has done a significant amount of damage to my yeah. brain and body yeah. over the course of 10 years me allowing it to run rampant. Yeah. Um, and I think that the bet, I think that the Ativan made it so that I, I wouldn't really remember the con, you know, the conversation that I had just had. Um, uh, and the adrenaline again, I was in this weird sort of, but not a, a fugue state. I always think of like as, um, pleasant and this was not, <laughs> but, uh, but in any case, yeah, there's that. I, you know, I tried so many drugs and I'm, I'm hypersensitive to drugs. I'm yeah. hypersensitive to the, mm. um, side effects. Yeah. Um, uh, and so I, yeah, I didn't want to, you know, I, I was, I, I've been researching, um, 
uh, microdosing actually. Yeah. Um, just because so many of the the drugs either give me headaches or put me on the couch or whatever. But more recently, I've just actually just with this last sort of um, this last sort of reincidence of my anxiety, I just finally retried Prozac. Oh wow! And so that's what I'm currently taking. And, and it, it really, it significantly helped weirdly on the same day that I started taking it, which makes me think, oh, I'm, I'm a placebo. placebo. <laughs> exactly. I'm very susceptible I think we should have a jingle just for that when we recognize it <laughs> happening. Um, because I, I think always when people suffer, there is an idea that, you know what, if I could just like, like people say, well, have you tried yoga? Have you tried mindfulness and that there is supposed to be some human way of getting through all these things? First of all, when someone says that to you, how does it ring? And secondly, have you tried yoga? <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. I had a friend who said, oh my gosh, you have to try Bikram. It'll change your life. Uh -huh. And I said, um, I'm not really a fan of yoga. And she's like, no, it'll, it'll be amazing. And I was like, and I also really hate sweating and being hot. And she's like, no, seriously, it'll change your life. It'll change your hour. I, and, I, and, and oddly, and I know this is crazy, I hated it uh -huh. uh, because I hate being hot and yoga. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know it's nuts. It's kind of part of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I, um, I have uh, the attention span of a gnat. Huh. Uh, so yoga is very difficult for me, yeah. uh, but I have been doing, um, I have been doing mindfulness work I've and, and which is significantly helpful noticing for me, you know, uh, noting that's something that, uh, that I, there's however many things in a toolkit, right. That, that therapists try to give their, their clients, yeah. their patients. Um, and and some things hit and some things don't. For me, noting was, I, I could actually feel. So with noting, um, at least the way that I learned it, is if you have a thought and um, and it triggers a feeling yeah. in you, um, then what you're supposed to do is, so recognize that feeling and say, oh, um, I just like, you know, my current OCD uh, obsession is that I have uh, early onset dementia because my brain's not working like it used to. Oh. I used to be significantly quicker. I have, you know, aphasia largely caused by the anxiety, which is word loss caused by the anxiety. Um, and there was this, this period where the sign on my street was turned and so, and I realized that I had in at nighttime, my street's completely dark. So I was just always looking for the sign and not looking at anything else. So when the sign was turned, I missed my street oh twice. My wow. Right. Wow. <laughs> and of course, when your brain is going to, oh my gosh, I have dementia. <laughs> so, so let's say that happens. Mm -hmm. I miss my street. My brain immediately goes to see, I don't, I, I'm getting lost. I don't even know where I am. I've lived in this house for three years. And so what you do with noting is you say, and you immediately get, I get an immediate rush of anxiety, a rush of adrenaline um, through the top half of my body, heat. And so I say, oh, I missed my street and um, that scared me. And it made, uh, it made me feel tightness, tightness in my chest and mm. heat in the top of my body and tingling. And it actually, I can feel the anxiety draining out of my body when wow. I do it. That's powerful. It's, it was really powerful and it's not necessarily going to work for everybody, but that's something, you know, there are these tools that, 
that if you're having a massive panic attack, nothing is going to touch it yeah. except maybe a Valium <laughs> or Xanax <laughs> or something. But the, what the great thing about, about, I think that a lot of people really struggle and they're, and they, they beat themselves up. They're just like, I, there's nothing I can do about this. And they don't realize, no, it's just like anything else. There are actual tools that you can use. Yeah. And so, yeah, when someone says, have you tried mindfulness? Have you tried yoga? Um, you know, once you've tried a lot of things, it does get a little old to continue to hear these things. Um, but, but yeah, I think that it really is like, you know, not one thing doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. You know, this is a pretty good spot to end part one of our revisit to show number one of Beyond Well. We'll pick up the second half next week. Until then, make it a great day. 